Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. Very excited for this week's episode. We've got uh, Brandon DeSanto on from Central Alabama having some success out of the gate with the podcast, using tips and tactics from the show, having some success. And I'm really excited to talk to you, Brandon, about this um, and kind of figure out, first off, a little bit more about you before we actually dive into this hunt. But let me start off. How long have you been a listener of the podcast? I started listening um, right after Thanksgiving of last year. Oh, man. So, yeah, one of our newer listeners. Let me ask, first of all, how did you find out about the podcast and what caused you to start listening? Uh, my buddy, Jeremy, um, gave me a call one day. He's pretty much my hunting partner. And uh, 
he was like, man, I've been listening to this podcast, driving back and forth to work. It's super cool. You know, the information they have on deer hunting is excellent. So um, I started listening to the deer hunting episodes and then I uh, went back because I heard you guys talking about prior episodes from turkey season. And so I went back and started listening to all the episodes from where you guys were at the convention and um, I was hooked from there. And I think I haven't been listening that long, but I I may have listened to all but two or three of the podcasts so far. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's so cool. So I got to ask, are you pretty much just a diehard turkey hunter? Pretty much. Um, I started turkey hunting when I was 22 or 20. I think I was 22. I was in the Navy. I was stationed in Virginia, and I, a buddy of mine was from Missouri, and we had just got back from being out to sea, and he asked me, he was like, hey, man, you want to go turkey hunting? And I was, I'd never been. I grew up, you know, bass fishing and deer hunting. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, I'll give it a shot. So we rode down to Bass Pro, and I dropped like $700 on a shotgun and then bought a couple of calls, and we went and uh, got on some birds that, that first morning we went. We had seven or eight goblin, you know, all around us, and I was hooked from there. Now, was your first introduction to, to turkey hunting, was that on public land or some private land y'all had? It was it was public land, and it was uh, about an hour from Naval Station Norfolk. So that's the largest naval base in the world. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of Army bases and Marine Corps bases around there. So I could say it was pretty crowded. <laughs> that's the that's the best way to put it. So you started listening to the podcast because your buddy recommended it. And you started listening to some older shows and kind of got hooked on it. Now, let me ask, have you always been like a podcast listener or was like our show the first show you really ever listened to that was in a podcast form? Um, I believe I, I'd listened to one here and there, but I never really got into it. And I think the first, you know, real uh, real podcast that I got into was the Meat Eater podcast from when Dr. Chamberlain was on it. And then it wasn't too long after that I got turned on to you guys and now you guys are pretty much the only hunting podcast I listen to. So, Awesome, man. That's cool feedback. Now, also, when it comes to, like, your perspective to the podcast and everything, because I'm curious with all these people I've talked to, you know, that are listeners that have applied tips and tactics from the show, which we cover a bunch of different things throughout the year, both turkey hunting and deer hunting and everything else, and everybody has a little bit different perspective. You know, there's some similar traits, but there's also some people just are complete 180 from the next person we have on. How do you go about figuring out what do you actually like per an episode to actually go out there and apply it? You know, kind of maybe talk a little bit about that, and then we'll kind of talk about which episodes have been impactful for you. I mean, over the years, I've, I guess I've been turkey hunting uh, 12 years now. And so over the years, I've, you know, I've heard people, you know, tell me tactics and people show me things. I've hunted with a couple of guys that are really good turkey hunters, and I've seen the things that they do, but obviously – Everybody has a little bit of a different style. Um, you know, just speaking of that, my buddy Jeremy that um, I hunt a lot with was, we were talking on the phone after a hunt and he, we were talking about a guy that had come in and started calling and I was telling him how I was calling and this same guy ended up messaging me and found me on Facebook. It was actually after I killed this turkey and said he heard me yelp one time. And my, I, I told that to my buddy and he said, well, I know he was close to you because I've heard you call. I've learned over the years to be really quiet and, you know, I want to go out and I want to, you know, yelp and cut and do all those kinds of things. And I've, I've had a little bit of success with that on private land, but you know, I, 
I started hunting public four years ago exclusively, and it was a major learning curve. So the episodes that I took something away from, they they really drove home and reiterated things that I had already heard, but hearing them again in you know the recent past helped me be mindful of that when I was in the woods and helped me be successful. Excellent, dude. Well, let's kind of dive into it. You know, what have been some of the episodes, especially from this season, that, you know, maybe were impactful for you? And let's kind of piece those apart. Um, I believe the two episodes that stood out to me the most uh, was episode 243 with Wayne Lackey and then also episode 246 with Jared Smith. Um, Again, you know, things that I had heard before, but the way that they put it into words and painted a picture of what they were doing – helped me uh, you know with a step-by-step process while i was on this bird i was able to put those steps and i kind of actually took the two podcasts and melded them together because of the situation that i was in and it it worked out well let's talk a little bit more about that so you said that you know they kind of said some things that you kind of had already known but it was the way they you know kind of laid it out that really made it click for you or gave you a different perspective what did they kind of cover and maybe start with wayne first you know, what did Wayne talk about that was like, okay, you know, I've heard this before, but maybe this the way he said it or broke it down, you're like, okay, I can now apply this maybe the next time I'm in a different situation. So w- Wayne started going into a lot of detail about directional calling, um, talking about the different type of callers, how the surfaces work, and the way that they project sound. So One thing that I had noticed over the season is I wasn't getting a lot of response to mouth calls and and crystal calls. So I'd actually uh, pulled my slate call out and um, started using that. But what I was doing is I was doing like he described. I was, you know, tucking it into my my leg, um, muffling the sound, and then I would also take the surface of the call that's projecting the sound off of the call, and I was turning it. I was facing it to me. But I was also kind of turning it back and down and kind of turning it from side to side, projecting the the call past me and the sound past me and behind me and trying to steer the turkey as I was calling to him. Interesting. Very interesting. So that was a big takeaway from Wayne. Was there anything else that Wayne kind of said that kind of, again, clicked with you, again, maybe changed or maybe gave you more uh, validity on kind of what you were doing and maybe how you could adjust anything? Well, you know, he was talking about his dad and the way that the old timers did it, the old school way of turkey hunting, having a turkey answer you and basically not calling again. Obviously, I wasn't that conservative. But what I did was as uh, as I made my approach to the bird, um, I would make a couple of soft calls, clucks and purrs, and then I would wait. And this is kind of where I melded the two together, where I I would make a call, have the turkey answer me, and then basically just stay quiet on him for about 15 to 20 minutes. And the good thing about this bird, which I hadn't experienced the rest of the season, is he continued to gobble. He kept checking where this hen was. He wasn't. He was interested, but I don't know if there was something in between us, or you know, he was just. He just kept saying, "Hey, you're going to come to me." But what I did was, is I would make those soft calls, put the call down, and then I would implement what Jared was talking about on how making a move, you know, 40 yards and then setting down, you know, now I sped up the time frame a little bit because of the amount the bird was gobbling, but um, 
you know, just the amount of calling. It's so hard when you got a bird gobbling. You know, you want to pick up that call. You want to cut at him. You want to keep him gobbling. You want to get him fired up and come running to you. But, you know, over the last four years and spending 30-plus days in the woods every spring and just not having any success with what you see on YouTube, you know, I, I was willing to try something that I've been told several times. But, you know, I would... It would always get the best of me, and I'd never be able to stick to it. But I was, I was determined to stick with it this time. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about Jared's episode. So that was episode uh, two forty six, the art of hunting a the turf. Oh, I can't even talk. The art of hunting the tough birds with Jared Smith. What about Jared's episode? You mentioned one thing about him, kind of how he walks and everything. But what about his episode? Kind of clicked for you, I mean, kind of how did you start implementing? You know, maybe something that he had mentioned, or maybe again just adjusted what you were doing based off something he was talking about. Well, he was talking about hunting silent birds, birds that go silent. You know, they gobble two or three times, and that's mainly the experience that I have where I hunt. You know, you'll hear a bird gobble two, three times on the roost, and, you know, you may be five, 600 yards from him, and you've got a general idea of where he is, but by the time you get to him, that bird is done. I mean, you may hear him one more time, and it could be hours or it could be five minutes later, but that's generally it. So instead of walking straight at this turkey you know i would i would call to him and then i'd skirt to the side you know after about i think i I moved on this bird four times and the three moves i i was putting 45 minutes in between the three moves that i made and then i had to make a big final move but um i would call to him set the call down and then i was waiting to see what the bird was doing and when i realized he wasn't moving i was simulating you know, being a hen, easing through the woods. I, I wasn't walking fast. I'd, you know, walk a couple feet, scratching the leaves. And then I would get to a position, uh, I believe Wayne and Jared both talked about this, sitting down, being ready with your face mask up before you make your next call. And so I would make the call, and 30, 45 seconds would go by, and the turkey would gobble, and he would come to me, and then he would drift. And he'd come to me, and then he would drift. And and this kind of proceeded. I got I got on the bird at daylight, and I killed him at 9.55. So, you know, if I made four moves, my time might be a little bit off on how long I waited in between. But I, I the one thing that I kept thinking about that both of them were talking about was being patient, you know, not charging in, you know, just being more like a real hen. Now, yeah, I was going to ask a little bit more because, I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about the hunt, but it sounded like the hunt was quite interesting, kind of how that everything played out and how you were able to kind of play with that bird and get him within range to get a shot off. But, I mean, what were some of the other highlights of the actual hunt, kind of using kind of what these two guys have talked about, kind of applying to this hunt and really be able to get that bird to solidify and, and close the distance to be able to come within shotgun range? Kind of hard um, to answer that question without just explaining what happened. So I had gone into an area that I knew that the birds uh, were roosting in. Um, These birds started gobbling, uh, I think, 540 that morning. And there was four of them on the ridge. And I I had the creek bed in between me and them. They were by far higher than I was. I basically kind of moved towards them and set up at about 300 yards because the woods where they were, I mean, it was wide open. They could see directly down into the bottom. So I sat up, I called to the turkey, 
they all three or all four of them actually gobbled back um but i could tell they weren't they weren't coming they they were basically holding their ground so the three birds that were kind of off to the right across the uh the creek bottom from me had started moving up to the top of the ridge that they were on but i noticed that the one bird that was that was gobbling the best and he was closest to me was staying in the same general area and actually had seemed like he had come down a little bit so what i did was is i kind of started jay hooking towards the bird or dog legging um you know referencing uh, a more recent podcast kind of you know moving to the bird but at a diagonal fashion um and keeping that terrain between me and the turkey because of where he was i wasn't 100 percent sure of you know where exactly he was on that hillside so basically i dropped down come around the the tip of a, a, a finger ridge and then walked through another bottom and got up on top of a ridge and I, I stayed on that bird right there for probably a good while. I, I'm not exactly sure because I wasn't really looking at my phone. I was focused on what I was doing. But every time the bird would start to drift, I would make a series of clucks and purrs. And the bird would gobble and come back gobbling, and I would stay quiet. What I was hoping was is he was going to, you know, basically he was in uh, the mouth of where the creek bed ran up. And he would drift to my side and then drift back to the other side. So I was hoping he was going to commit, and I was actually in a really good spot. Um, I was tucked in behind a, a fallen log, and if he would have walked down, you know, the little logging road that was up on top of this finger ridge, it would have been perfect. So I stayed there, um, you know, and then I ended up making one more move after that, a little bit closer to him. But the the bird furthest down the the ridge from us started gobbling and what i did was is uh you know did something that wayne had also talked about when the bird would gobble that's when i cut at him because none of the birds were committing so at that point i was like well what do i have have to lose well when i cut at that turkey the other turkey gobbled but the furthest turkey gobbled as well and i could tell he started coming so I was like, well, they're staying on that side. They're moving They're moving up to the top. And that's when I, I made a big move. I basically fell off into the bottom, cut up through the drainage, hit another logging road, wrapped all the way around, and got up on top. And what they were doing is, is there's a big ridge top, and it's right on the edge of some select cut ponds. So <clears throat> I got up there and uh, got tucked in behind a root ball. Cause I was, I didn't want to come over the crest of the hill cause I felt like they were right there. But well, when I called again, they gobbled, but it sounded like they gobbled exactly where I just come from. So I was like, well, so I was like, okay, well I can make a move up and I can get up on top because they were just right here. They're obviously comfortable being here. So when I crested the top of the hill, all of a sudden I look up and all I see is a red head running to me. And so I just freeze in mid-stride. The bird sees something. He doesn't know what he saw, and he just kind of stops, and he starts looking and looking and looking. And so he he starts to wig out a little bit, and he takes off running, and he goes over the roll of the hill, and I thought the next thing I was going to see was him flying off the, the side of the ridge. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he, he scared the other birds startled them i don't know but all of a sudden they all just started gobbling like crazy 
I've never seen anything like this. I mean, they probably gobbled 15 times within a two-minute time frame. So I took that opportunity to jump in behind any brush that I could, and what I did was I found a pine tree that had a bunch of muscadine vine growing up in it. And then uh, <clears throat> pulled my slate call out one more time, clucked two times and purred, and all of a sudden I heard boom. And I look up, and at 80 yards, all three of them crest the top of the ridge, and they're all strutting. So I just I set my call down. I'm just I get my gun ready, and they basically stand in front of me for about 15 minutes at 80 yards, strutting, gobbling, drumming putting on a fantastic show and um so i'm i'm sitting there kind of panicking i'm like well, what do i do i mean it's so it's so open i can't crawl on them if i move they're going to see me the only thing that's protecting me is the muscadine vine well all of a sudden i hear clucking and i look over and at about eight yards there's a hen standing there she starts like getting aggravated. I I don't know if she silhouetted me, but she never totally wigged out. And she just kept clucking and kept clucking and the birds were gobbling and she dropped back off the hill the same way she had come up and the birds didn't budge. So I picked my call up and stuck it against my leg one more time and just purred a couple of times. I bowed my head and I said, God, please just let them come around the edge of this road. And as soon as I looked up, they all folded up and single file just started walking straight to me. Um, after that, you know, they, they covered the distance and, um, I had to roll up and get up on my knees, which was, it was kind of difficult to pull off without them seeing me. But when the lead bird stepped out, I mean, he was at 26 steps and I shot him and had a lot of emotions <laughs> after that. So, First of all, that sounds extremely exciting. One thing I want to ask you, did you learn anything about that setup on maybe what to do or what not to do next time? Well, the, I believe the setup was solid. I think one of the mistakes that I made that also goes back to those podcasts is when I got up on top, I was not ready. Um, you know, I was, I was, well, I shouldn't say I wasn't ready. I was thrown off by the way that they gobbled. They sounded a lot further away. And instead of, you know, setting down right there, I moved towards the turkeys after I'd made a call, which I, I you know, I've heard, you know, Wayne and, and a lot of other people say, you know, that's a huge mistake. And it almost cost me the hunt. Um, but once I was able to get into the setup, it was the perfect hide the hen scenario. I mean, there was so much cover in front of me and the way that the road, the, the logging road wrapped around they had to come into shotgun range if they were going to commit to come into that hinge. And it actually, it, it couldn't have worked out better. I think, I think the biggest mistake I made was calling before I was able to be ready. And that's one of the biggest things I learned out of that situation. So again, there's a lot of life lessons out, of it, but it came out with a, with an awesome hunt and an awesome kind of uh, kind of a follow-up story to it. Let me ask kind of going forward, you know, Alabama season is kind of coming to a close, but, you know, how do you see kind of what you've learned so far from this season, kind of what you've picked up on the show to kind of be prepared, especially for next season as well, to kind of maybe start off, you know, off on a right foot early on, you know, kind of what are the things you're going to take away from this season for next season? I believe that, you know, just sticking to the things that, you know, I've heard a lot of great turkey hunters say, and it's the exact same things that, that guys like Wayne and Jared and, and a lot of others say, you know, 
stop stop watching videos and trying to go in the woods and hunt like somebody else. Take tactics that you know that have worked. They're solid tactics, even though they're they're not always fun. You know, my my buddy he he gets so antsy and he wants to get up and go, get up and go. And I've just learned through listening to these guys that are very successful that sometimes when you're getting up and you're running through the woods and you're moving too fast. You know, you're hurting yourself more than you're helping yourself. And, you know, I I don't, I think that if I had made that big move initially, I don't know if I would have killed those turkeys. But I think what, through doing what Jared and Wayne had both said and keeping that bird interested and letting him know that there was a hen there and then making that move, I believe I kept those birds gobbling longer and keeping them interested longer than just hearing some guy, you know, cutting and calling really loud, you know, a long way away, and then all of a sudden being right on top of them. Excellent. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on for this week's strut report. Again, uh, congratulations on the awesome bird. Dude, that sucker's got some – first of all, it's got some hooks on him. Dude's got some spurs, dude. So congratulations to that turkey, and uh, best of luck to you for the rest of Alabama season. And, hey, maybe, dude, listen, get out there and do some crappie fishing this summer. I know we talked about fishing before we hopped on, but, man – uh, there's a, there's a, even though season's coming to a close, we got a lot of great opportunities in the deep south, uh, to get more opportunities to be outdoors over the next few months. But, dude, thanks again for coming on and, uh, best of luck to you. Absolutely, man. I appreciate y'all having me. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.